Um, Right, we're going to look at the book of James. Brilliant, perfect. I was looking for a picture of a Bible, just because it's the kind of thing you do when you're going to look at a book in the Bible. And I came across this little picture of this little lad with the Bible open, kind of going, (gasps) and I just, it just captured me. And I thought, bang, that's what I'm going to use Sunday morning. So everyone can just go, that's how we kind of should be when we're reading scripture, because it is alive. It is alive and it should be. We just talked about being a child of God. You know, we are children. No, we're adults and we kind of like, you know, do adult things, etc. But we're children of God. And we need to have that childlike faith within us. And it's just like, yeah, when we open the scriptures, it should be, wow, this is awesome. And James is going to be a little bit of a challenge. (laughs) I don't know if anyone's ever read James before all the way through. But it's a real good book, and we're going to look at it because it focuses on discipleship, being a disciple. All right. So I'm—I know some people have probably got their Bibles open, etc. I'm actually not going to preach much from James because this is meant to be an overview, and I'm leaving the preaching properly to those that have agreed that they will preach. So I don't want to take any of their thunder away uh, because there's some really good stuff in here. Um, Bernard, many months ago, said, what, what, what do you reckon we should preach on for the coming into the summer months? And I was just like, let me go away and pray about it and think about it. And, and I was reading James myself at the time and I thought, this is a cracking book. And Who's actually ever heard a whole preaching series on James in church? One, two, three, four. It's not often preached on as a whole book. You tend to maybe go to some of the stuff in there, and one of the things is taming the tongue. You know, that's a really powerful uh, part of, of, of this book. And we kind of go there and pick on that one and we go, yeah, thank you very much, James, we'll pick on that. We'll use that, how we talk to people and how we should be. But there's so much more to it. Now, weirdly, when I said to Bernard, let's go with James, and we said, yeah, okay, let's, let's, let's go with it. And we got this book, which I've left at home, like all good ministers that are meant to bring something to show you. I left it at home because I was using it to study. And... Um, we, we, you know, so let's, let's do it. So, and the weird thing is that I started back at college again, and um, we're looking at the New Testament. It's like, oh, fantastic, this is really good. And one of the lectures was purely on James. And I was like, ha, fantastic, thank you, Lord. So I've stolen everything uh, from... <laughs> I did ask permission. I did. It was, you know, one of the lecturers at college is a New Testament uh, lecturer, and he's he. It's just really brilliant how he he takes you to first century Israel, who who the people were were listening, you know, and, and hearing what what James was saying, and he takes you there. So so I am giving full credence this morning to my lecturer. Simon Jones, that is legal on tape now. Hopefully I will get some better marks in my essays. That's what I'm hoping for. So yeah, my, my, own, my, my aim and my hope is to this morning to give you an overview um, as we look at this book together over the coming months. The very, if you have got a Bible, um, if you haven't, don't worry, but the very first 
line. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So many of the letters in the New Testament open that way. Okay, Peter does it as well. Paul does it quite a bit. Um, and it's very similar um, in the way they kind of greet people. And uh, here we find James doing the same thing. He's greeting, he's saying who he is. When you read it, it says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What I want to do in my life is be able to say, Gary, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my heart and my passion as a disciple, to be able to say that. And that should be for every single one of us. Is to say, whoever put your name there, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Roger, uh, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ian, everyone else who's here, to be able to say that would be awesome. So let's have a look at James. Now, something I have learned a lot from college is context. Okay? Context, and I'll say again, context, and a third time, context. It's really important that we understand this letter uh, from James. He's not writing to us here in Billericay in 2022. He's not. That's not to say that we can't learn anything from this letter, as the bulk of his letter is aimed at being a disciple of Jesus. Now, Scholars uh, strongly agree that James, uh, who wrote this, this letter, was actually the brother of Jesus. So, so we're hearing first-hand information here. Uh, he went on to become the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. Uh, he was executed around 65 AD, according to uh, Josephus, a Jewish historian. This letter is written around 46, 47 AD. So it's just over a decade, about 13 years or so, after Jesus' uh, death, resurrection, uh, ascension. Okay, so we're talking within a decade or so. If you were to take the New Testament letters, including the Gospels, uh, and put them in order of the date you'd have to start with James. He's the earliest written before any of the Gospels. The second book that would be there in the New Testament if it was in date chronological would be Jude. James and Jude were brothers of Jesus. When these these letters were written, it was the brothers of Jesus that were starting this early writing, and then you had everyone else that kind of followed in the New Testament. They were blood family. So what you read in James and Jude, this is first-hand information. This is first-hand stuff of brothers of Jesus, who we don't know much about Jesus growing up, we do know a little bit about the brothers when, when, when they're kind of like outside and this is your brothers and your mother are here and Jesus is my brother and mothers are here, I'm speaking to. But they grew up with Jesus. 
to the time of being 30. So these guys were just like, you know, proper brothers. If you've got a brother here that you grew up with and you're just like, yeah, can't, we're inseparable kind of thing. It's just where they was, were at. Problem is, in both of them, they say very little about Jesus, <laughs> which is really, really odd. But what we have got is of, of this cult kind of what was happening for the disciples at the time, these, these young Christians at the time, and the cultural environment they were in. Um, just a little bit of a word. Going to college is brilliant, okay? You learn so much, and sometimes it just spills out, and that's what's happening. Um, one of the things that, that I didn't even twig, really, the majority of first century people could not read. So these letters were written out and read out. And somebody with some more education than others would read these out. So people listened. They listened. Which is why a lot of people would go to synagogue and listen to the scriptures being read. They weren't educated enough to read themselves. So again, something to think of when you look at the New Testament, when you see these letters, is to actually think. People weren't reading this. We didn't, they didn't have their own Bible they didn't have their own Bible like we have got the privilege of, of having. They literally had to listen to what people were saying, which is why it's so important that what was read out was, was said properly. So when you start reading the New Testament and stuff like that, just think, oh yeah, how, how is this read out? How is this received by the people that are there? Maybe we could start doing that here, just like big monologues of reading scripture. That would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. Amen. Joy's up for it. You're first, Joy. Uh, <laughs> now, it's, we believe that James is writing mainly to Jewish converts. Okay, So those around at the time that were Jews, that were converted to Christianity. That's not to say that there weren't uh, Gentiles there at the time. There would have probably been in hearing, but we don't know that. Um, uh, so the, the, the part that um, uh, James follows with is he talks to the scattered people. He talks to the scattered children of God. They're all over the place. They're all over. They're not all just in one place. Things are starting to happen. Um, the Romans, pre the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, um, were, were very twitchy about this new sect called Followers of the Way or the Way. They weren't called, it wasn't called Christianity then, Followers of the Way. And they were a bit twitchy about it, especially because it had found its way to Rome. And um, many of the, the Roman citizens were now becoming followers of the way. And, and authorities got a little bit twitchy. So they started to actually kick people out of these places. They, used, they, called, they dispersed them. It's called the Great Dysphoria. They dispersed them. And, and it, it's interesting that the, the, the early Christians, as they kind of like were were cast out, well then they were finding themselves in very alien places. These were not places they were used to. Some people were, were being converted in towns and, and cities and stuff like that, but a lot of them, especially the Jews, were being cast out into these far-flung places. Um, 
it's interesting <laughs> lecture Simon just give him a thumbs up again uh, actually uh, he was he was talking about the fact that if you read just after Pentecost um, the Jews all the Christians all kind of stayed around in the same place no one really kind of went anywhere until Stephen was stoned to death and Saul was there. And it's at that point that we start to see the dispersion in certain areas. Interestingly, the lecturer was just like saying, even the early disciples didn't quite get the great commission to go. They stayed. They were comfortable where they were at. And it wasn't until persecution came that, bang, they actually started to go and the Great Commission started to happen. So James is writing to a scattered, vulnerable people group um, who would have mainly been manual workers. I started out as a manual worker. I did my carpentry apprenticeship. That's what I did. I worked on the building site. I knew what was kind of happening from that kind of context. So a lot of them would have relied on the labour in the fields. Okay, Some of them might have been skilled, but mainly it was labour in the fields. They would literally turn up what they would do for the day uh, that the rich landowner would, would pay them, and that would be it. They didn't know if they were going to go and get earnings again the next day which is why we've kind of like got a lot of the, the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Okay, because they didn't have that security, job security. Um, what we find at this time is that a lot of the farms, at the, the agricultural area, were run by very wealthy people. Very wealthy people. And in 45 to 47 AD... There was a massive famine uh, across the land. And a lot of the wealthy uh, landowners were claiming back the land that they'd loaned out because people were defaulting on their land. So they were literally just land grabbing it back, saying, no, that's it, that's mine, I'm calling in all my debts kind of thing. So James is writing to a very vulnerable set of people at a time of serious financial Hardship. This is where we can start to relate to it in 2022. We are having, some of us, financial hardship. But it's nothing compared to the people at the time. Nothing compared to the people at the time. That doesn't mean that we can't learn anything from what James is saying here. But in Billericay, uh, we will be challenged because actually, when I look out upon all of us, we're the wealthy. We've got the money. We're in the top percent of richest people in the world. Our average income in Billericay. So, when James, a little bit later on, is going to be, when you'll see, is writing his letters about the wealthy. In fact, in James 5, verse 1, and whoever is preaching on this one, <laughs> it might be me, actually, I don't know. Whoever's preaching on this one, this is a really interesting one. 
Because James says in verse 1, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. He's holding no punches, James. Holding absolutely no punches whatsoever in what he says. Which is why this book is a challenge. It's a challenge to the wealthy. It's a challenge to the disciples of Jesus. The way that um, James writes here is actually very similar to the way that the zealots at the time were speaking. Now the zealots were the ones that hated any kind of authority, especially Roman authority, and were quite happy to walk around with a little knife, and if they saw a Roman, that was the attitude of the zealots. They hated Roman occupation and would kill Romans. Interestingly, Simon, one of the disciples, was a zealot. Amazing the type of people that Jesus had as his disciples. A terrorist. A terrorist. The understanding of who Jesus loves and encompasses and has compassion for still blows my mind when you think of something like that. So what James is saying here to the wealthy may have been one of the reasons why he was finally executed because of what he was saying was very passionately against the wealthy landowners, which were mainly the Romans around at the time, but there would have been a lot of Jewish people as well. As a leader in the church at the time, James was seeing and hearing first-hand reports of the way people were being treated. And some of the people may also have been doing the mistreating, the wealthy landowners, both rich and poor, were in the, the kingdom of God. And these are the tensions that are there, aren't they? These are the tensions that the people would have had at the time. So this gives you a little bit of an idea of the background of the, picture, the, the, the people, the culture, and the time that James is writing this letter uh, to. In essence, the letter is about sticking close to God. All through uh, James's letter, his teaching is encouragement. It's based on Jesus' teaching. Quite of the, a bit of the letter is reminiscent to the Sermon on the Mount. So you get a lot of that kind of, you know, oh, James is saying that. Isn't that what kind of Jesus said? Remember the context. James was there probably listening to his brother, making sure, what is he saying? Oh, right, okay. And then he's first-hand understanding this and it's then Matthew that then late later on gives us a little bit more understanding so James is about walking the talk and I've talked a lot this morning and I've still got a few bits to say but I'm also walking <laughs> I've got to keep walking get this leg moving uh, over the coming weeks we're going to hear about trials and temptations and perseverance that comes with it We're going to hear about the wealth and poverty, uh, looking at justice. Uh, We're going to look at actions, not just words, actually doing what being a Christian means. Uh, How we speak to one another, taming the tongue. Or as I say to a lot of young people, and probably a lot of adults need to as well, is taming the thumb. All right? 
because there's a lot of things that I see online from Christians that just baffles me. That is not of Christ. Why have you posted that? So I think in the modern era, at the time James was saying, careful what you say, we still have to be careful what we say, but when we're online and we quote this or we say that or we reply in anger, anger, tame the thumb. It's also about the nature of true wisdom, thinking like Jesus. And I'm going to quote uh, my lecturer, Simon, again, just getting those essay points, which will be good. He, James didn't write um, this letter to share his ideas or to provide an after-dinner conversation or launch a new school of thought. He wrote to confront Christians with their need to take Jesus at his word and walk the talk. That's what James is about. It's about being real with God. It's about sticking close to God. James is also about how disciples should live. This relates a lot to us. When we read James, we relate things to our lives, how we are walking, how we're talking, understanding who he was writing to, but actually thinking, how does this affect me now? How does this relate to us as future disciples? Prayer is the heart of the Christian faith. Without it, we are helpless. Prayer is so important. Praying as a church, praying as individuals, praying as families, praying as discipleship groups. Prayer, prayer, prayer is so important. Faith and works. Now, some have suggested that James's works uh, and faith contradicts Paul's faith by grace. Again, it's down to context. Education's so good. Especially later on in life. Sometimes you just keep learning. Um, Paul writes in Galatians 2.16 to say that the Gentiles have to be Jews. People were saying at the time, the Gentiles have to be Jews in order to become Christians. And that's where Paul starts to say, no, it's, it's faith by grace. We are not going to be asking the Gentiles to be circumcised. It's as simple as that. This is by grace. But James is actually talking about how we live as Christians, saying in chapter 217 that faith without works is dead. That's quite a statement. Our faith without works is dead. I think this needs to be a lesson for a lot of Christians who feel they've bought the ticket for their final destination, but do nothing in order to advance the kingdom of God. This is a wake-up call. These are the kind of things when you read in the book of James, we should be like that little boy. Okay, faith without works is dead. Wow. Challenges us. Wealth and possessions. How do we approach this as a wealthy people and a wealthy church? We live in a very affluent town. We've got more bars and coffee shops that you can throw a barista at. It's ridiculous now. 
another coffee shop opens up, a shop shuts, another one opens up. We have got cash to spare. Expendable income seems to be in a lot of places, but we know food bank needs are rising. We have got high living costs. We're aware of that. Every single one of us is aware of that, and I'm not wanting to belittle that. But it seems for most at the moment what they're cutting back on is their Netflix subscription. We just need to tighten our belts. That's what a lot of things, stuff is being said. For some, it will be a difficulty. But actually, it does mean that what we stop is our entertainment. Or we have less takeaways. Or we don't drive as far. We walk instead of drive. See, our, our, our understanding of financial difficulty in the Western world is completely different to what financial difficulty was in first century Israel, or is in many countries in the world today. So when we say, oh, we're having financial hardship, no, you're not. You've still got a roof over your head. You've still got a car you can afford. You still can pay for food, which is in shops that we can buy stuff and hasn't been blown to smithereens. I don't want to belittle that because I do understand that actually, yes, there will be those that will really be struggling with some of that. It's a challenge. And just to say, if anyone is struggling, let us know, please. Let us know as a church. All right? Maybe not as a church, as leaders. We want to help. We're a wealthy church. We want to help. Focus on suffering. Do we really, truly suffer as Christians? A bit of ridicule on TV or social media. We suffer physically, like in our bodies, yes. But persecution in the way that the early church did, not really, not at all. However, when we're scattered in the world, in our workplaces, in the home, whatever it might be, in the town, how do we act as Christians? How do we engage with those that maybe will mock or ridicule Christianity? Maybe even us as Christians. Maybe at school is the worst environment. (laughs) I remember what it was like. It was awful being a Christian in school. I was known as the Catholic candle. I wasn't even a flipping Catholic for crying out loud. But when you're in those places, how do you act? How do you respond to people? Bash, (laughs) which I wanted to, or just withdraw quietly and... Christian lifestyle. Are we set apart? Could someone who doesn't know us look at us, our actions and our words, and say that we look differently or act differently to anyone in society? Or have we conformed so much that Jesus just isn't recognised in us? James teaches us to submit to God in all things. And finally, literally, finally, before the band come up and we worship and then we're going to take some communion. Another quote from Reverend Simon Jones. 
He's a good guy. This is not a comfortable letter. Its directness is embarrassing to those of us used to talking endlessly around the subject. The down-to-earth practical nature of spirituality is almost rude in a culture that sees spirituality as something otherworldly and mystical. But it is a voice that we need to hear in a world that is lost. In a world uh, that is lost. I've lost my place now. Uh, in its race to succeed and be top dog. A world where the poor majority are fleeced by a rich minority who live in a luxury not even dreamed of by first century Christians. A world where violence is fed by a desire to own and control more of the finite pool of resources. James is a voice we need to hear. And when we've heard it, instead of talking about it, we need to decide, are we going to live this way or not? A powerful statement. James is going to be a challenge for us as disciples. Not in a nasty way, I think in a very good way. That just challenges us as Christians in 2022. And how we react as Christians to the world we're living in. How do we as disciples carry that light that is Jesus within us, with everything that's kind of happening. Let me pray for us as the band come up. Father, I thank you for your brother James. (laughs) Jesus, we thank you for him. We thank you for this letter that he wrote that is such a challenge. And Lord, I pray over the coming weeks and months uh, that, that we would really respond to this as individuals in a ch- as a church, that we would recognise that we are called to be disciples of the true and living God, that we are children of God, co-heirs with Jesus, to bring a good news in a time when there are hardships. And Father, help us to be the light carriers, the fire bringers of Jesus Christ. As we go into all different places, as we ourselves are scattered, may we be Jesus wherever we go. I pray this in your name. Amen.